Hello everyone and welcome to the 7th episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we are going to read chapters 13 to 14. And in the first half we'll read chapters 13 and in the second half we'll read chapters chapter 14. Now what happened in the previous episodes is that uh Percy found out that he was the son of Poseidon and he was given the quest to retrieve uh, Zeus's lightning bolt in order to make uh, the brothers not mad at each other. And if you're wondering who the brothers are, it's Zeus and Poseidon. So Zeus is actually thinking that Poseidon took his bolt. And yeah, they're having a kind of like a uh, argument in the sky. And Percy being the son of Poseidon, uh, he's given the quest to retrieve Zeus's lightning bolt so that he can clear his father's name and he can make him... S- self-safe but that's not in his interest because he wants to go to Hades and actually save his mother from there because if you don't remember in the previous chapters the minotaur squeezed her into golden powder so Percy thinks that she can he can save her from uh, Hades so we'll read chapter 13 I plunge to my death we spent two days on the Amtrak train Heading west through hills, over rivers, past amber waves of grain, we weren't attacked once, but I didn't relax. I felt that we were traveling around in a display case, being watched from above and maybe from below, that something was waiting for the right opportunity. I tried to keep a low profile because my name and picture were splattered over the front pages of several East Coast newspapers. The Trenton Register News showed a photo taken by a tourist as I got off the Greyhound bus. I had a wild look in my eyes. My sword was a metallic blur in my hands. It might have been a baseball bat or a lacrosse stick. The picture's caption read, 12-year-old Percy Jackson wanted for questioning in the Long Island disappearance of his mother two weeks ago. is shown here fleeing from the bus where he accosted several elderly female passengers. The bus exploded on an East New Jersey roadside shortly after Jackson fled the scene. Based on eyewitness accounts, police believe the boy may be traveling with two teenage accomplices. His stepfather, Gabe Ugliano, has offered a cash reward for information leading to his capture. Don't worry, Annabeth told me. Mortal police could never find us. But she didn't sound so sure. The rest of the day I spent alternately pacing the length of the train because I had a really hard time sitting still or looking out the windows. Once I spotted a family of centaurs galloping across the wheat field, bows at the ready, as they hunted lunch. The little boy centaur, who was the size of a second grader on a pony, caught my eye and waved. I looked around the passenger car, but nobody else had noticed. The adult riders had all had their faces buried in laptop computers or magazines. Another time, toward evening, I saw something huge moving through the woods. I could have sworn it was a lion, except that lions don't live, in wi- don't live wild in America. And this thing was the size of a hummer. Its fur glinted gold in the evening light, then it leaped through the t- trees and was gone. Our reward money for returning Gladiola the Poodle had only been enough to purchase tickets as far as Denver. We couldn't get berths in the sleeper car, so we dozed in our seats. My neck got stiff. I tried not to drool in my sleep, since Annabeth was sitting right next to me. Grover kept snoring and bleeding and waking me up. Once he shuffled around and his fake foot fell off, Annabeth and I had to stick it back on before any of the passengers noticed. 
So, Annabeth asked me, once we got in Grover's sneaker adjust, readjusted, who wants your help? What do you mean? When you were asleep just now, you mumbled, I won't help you. Who are you dreaming about? I was reluctant to say anything. It was the second time I dreamed about the evil voice from the pit, but it bothered me so much, I finally told her. Annabeth was quiet for a long time. That doesn't sound like Hades. He always appears on a black throne, and he never laughs. He offered my mother in trade. Who else could do that? I guess if he meant help me rise from the underworld, if he wants war with the Olympians, but why ask you to bring him the Master Bowl if he already has it? I shook my head, wishing I knew the answer. I thought about what Grover told me, that the Furies on the bus seemed to have been looking for something. Where is it? Where? Maybe Grover sensed my emotions. He snorted in his sleep, muttering something about vegetables and turned his head. Annabeth readjusted his cap, so it covered his horns. Percy, you can't barter with Hades. You know that, right? He's deceitful, heartless, and greedy. I don't care if his kindly ones weren't as aggressive this time. This time? I asked. You mean you run into them before? Her hand crept up her to her necklace. She fingered a glazed white bead painting in with the image of a pine tree, one of her clay end of summer, stone, summer tokens. Let's just say I've got no love for the Lord of the Dead. You can't be tempted to make a deal for your mom. What would you do if it was your dad? That's easy, she said. I'd leave him to rot. You're not serious? Annabeth's gray eyes fixed on me. She wore the same expression she'd worn in the woods at camp, the moment she drew her sword against the hellhound. My dad's resented me since the day I was born, Percy, she said. He never wanted a baby. When he got me, he asked Athena to take me back and raise me on Olympus because he was too busy with his work. She wasn't happy about that. She told him heroes had to be raised by their mortal parent. But how? I mean, I guess you were born in a hospital. I appeared on my father's doorstep in a golden cradle carried down from Olympus by Zephyr, the West Wind. You'd think my dad remembered that as a miracle, right? Like maybe he'd take some digital photos or something? But he always talked about my arrival as if it were the most inconvenient thing that ever happened to him. When I, got, when I was five, he got married and totally forgot about Athena. He got a regular mortal wife and had two regular mortal kids and tried to pretend I didn't exist. I stared out the train window. The lights of a sleeping town were drifting by. I wanted to make Annabeth feel better, but I didn't know how. My mom married a really awful guy, I told, I told her. Grover said she did it to protect me, to hide me in the scent of a human family. Maybe that's what your dad was thinking. Annabeth kept, worrying, Annabeth kept worrying at her necklace. She was pinching the gold college ring that hung with the beads. It occurred to me that the ring must be her father's. I wonder why she wore it if, you, if, she, if, it, if she hated him so much. He doesn't care about me, she said. His wife, my stepmom, treated me like a freak. She, loved, she wouldn't let me play with her children. My dad went along with her. When some, whenever something dangerous happened, you know, something with monsters, they would both look at me resentfully like, how dare you put your, our family at risk? Finally, I took the hint. 
I wasn't wanted. I ran away. How old were you? Same age as, I, as when I started camp. Seven. But you couldn't have gone all the way to Half Blood Hill by yourself. Not alone, no. Athena watched over me, guided me toward help. I made a couple of unexpected friends who took care of me. For a short time, anyway. I wanted to ask what happened, but Annabeth seemed lost in sad memories. So I listened to the sound of Grover snoring and gazed out the train windows as the dark fields of Ohio raced by. Toward the end of our second day on the train, June 13th, eight days before the summer solstice, we passed through some golden hills and over the Mississippi River into St. Louis. Annabeth craned her neck to see the gateway arch, which looked to me like a huge shopping bag handle stuck on the city. I want to do that, she sighed. What? I asked. Build something like that. You ever seen the Parthenon, Percy? Only in pictures. Someday, I'm going to see it in person. I'm going to build the greatest monument to the gods, ever. Something that will last a thousand years. I laughed. You, an architect? I don't know why, but I just found it funny. Just the idea of Annabeth trying to sit quietly and draw all day. Her cheeks flushed. Yes, an architect. Athena expects her children to create things, not just tear them down, like a certain god of earthquakes I could mention. I watched the churning brown water of the Mississippi below. Sorry, Annabeth said. That was mean. Can we work together a little? I pleaded. I mean, didn't Athena and Poseidon ever cooperate? Annabeth had to think about it. I guess the chariot, she said tentatively. My mom invented it, but... Poseidon created horses out of the crest of waves, so they had to work together to make it complete. Then we we can cooperate too, right? We rode into the city, Annabeth watching as the arch disappeared behind the hotel. I suppose, she said at last. We pulled into the Amtrak station downtown. The intercom told us we'd have a three-hour layover before departing for Denver. Grover stretched. Before he was even fully awake, he said, Food. Come on, goat boy, Annabeth said. Sightseeing. Sightseeing? The gateway arch, she said. This may be my only chance to ride to the top. Are you coming or not? Grover and I exchanged looks. I wanted to say no, but I feared that if Annabeth was going, we couldn't very well let her go alone. Grover shrugged. As long as there's a snack bar without monsters. The arch was about a mile from the train station. Late in the day, the lines to get in weren't that long. We threaded our way through the underground museum, looking at covered vault wagons and other junk from the 1800s. It wasn't all that thrilling. But Annabeth kept telling us interesting facts about how the arch was built, and Grover kept passing me jelly beans, so I was okay. I kept looking around, though, at the other people in line, You smell anything? I murmured to Grover. He took his nose out of the jelly bean bag long enough to sniff. Underground, he said distastefully. Underground air always smells like monsters. Probably doesn't mean anything. But something felt wrong to me. I had a feeling we shouldn't be here. Guys, I said, you know the God's symbols of power? Annabeth had been in the middle of reading about the construction equipment used to build the arch. But she looked over. Yeah? Well, Haiti... Grover cleared his throat. We're in a public place, 
You mean our friend downstairs? Um, right, I said. Our friend way downstairs. Doesn't he have a hat like Annabeth's? You mean the Helm of Darkness? Annabeth said. Yeah, that's a symbol of power. I saw it next to his seat during the Winter Solstice Council meeting. He was there? I asked. She nodded. It's the only time he's allowed to visit Olympus, the darkest day of the year. But his helm is a lot more powerful than my invisibility hat, is if what I've heard is true. It allows him to become darkness, Grover confirmed. He can melt into shadow or pass through walls. He can't be touched or seen or heard. And he can radiate fear so intense, it can drive you insane or stop your heart. Why do you think all rational creatures fear the dark? But then, how do we know he's not here right now, watching us? I asked. Annabeth and Grover exchanged looks. We don't, Grover said. Thanks. That makes me feel a lot better, I said. Got any blue jelly beans left? I'd almost mastered my jumpy nerves when I saw the tiny little elevator car we were going to ride to the top of the arch. And I knew I was in trouble. I hate confined places. They make me nuts. We got shoehorned into the car with this big fat lady and her dog. A chihuahua with a rhinestone collar. I figured maybe the dog was a seeing eye chihuahua. Because none of the the guards said a word about it. We started going up inside the arch. I'd never been in an elevator that went up one in a curve. And my stomach wasn't too happy about it. No parents? The fat lady asked us. She had beady eyes. Pointy coffee-stained teeth, a floppy denim hat, and a denim dress that bulged so much she looked like a blue jean blimp. There below, Annabeth told her, scared of heights. Oh, the poor darlings. The chihuahua growled. The woman said, now, now, Sonny, behave. The dog had beady eyes like its owner, intelligent and vicious. I said, Sonny? Is that his name? No. The lady told me. She smiled, as if that cleared everything up. At the top of the arch, the observation deck reminded me of a tin can with carpeting. Rows of tiny windows looked out over the city on one side, and the river on the other. The view was okay, but if there's anything I like less than a confined space, it's a confined space 600 feet in the air. I was ready to go pretty quick. Annabeth kept talking about structural supports and how she would have made the windows bigger and designed a see-through floor. She probably could have stayed up there for hours, but luckily for me, the park ranger announced that the observation deck would be closing in a few minutes. I steered Grover and Annabeth toward the exit, loaded them into the elevator, and I was about to get get in myself when I realized there there were already two tourists inside. No room for me. The park ranger said, Next car, next car, sir. We'll get out, Annabeth said. We'll wait with you. But that was going to mess everybody up and take even more time. So I said, nah, it's okay. I'll see you guys at the bottom. Grover and Annabeth both looked nervous, but they let the elevator door slide shut. Their car disappeared down the ramp. Now, the only people left on the observation deck were me, a little boy with his parents, the park ranger, and the fat lady with her chihuahua. I smiled uneasily at the fat lady. She smiled back, her forked tongue flickering between her teeth. Wait a minute. Forked tongue? 
Before I could decide if I really seen that, her chihuahua jumped down and started yapping at me. Now, now, Sonny, the lady said. Does this look like a good time? We have all these nice people here. Doggy, said the little boy. Look, a doggy. His parents pulled him back. The chihuahua bared his teeth at me, foam dripping from his black lips. Black lips. Well, son, the fat lady inside. If you insist, ice started forming in my stomach. Um, did you just call that Chihuahua your son, Chimera, dear? The fat lady corrected. Not a Chihuahua. It's an easy mistake to make. She rolled up her denim, denim, denim sleeves, revealing that the skin of her arms were scaly and green. When she smiled, I saw that her teeth were fangs. The pupils of her eyes were sideways slits, like a reptile's. The Chihuahua barked louder, and with each bark, it grew. First to the size of a Doberman, then to a lion, the bark became a roar. The little boy screamed. His parents pulled him back toward the exit, straight into the park ranger, who stood paralyzed, gaping at the monster. The chimera was now so tall, its back rubbed against the roof. It had the head of a lion with a blood-caked mane, the body and hooves of a giant goat, and a serpent for a tail, a ten-foot-long diamond back growing right out of its shaggy behind. The rhinestone dog collar still hung around its neck, and the plate-sized dog tag was now easy to read. Chimera, rabid, fire-breathing, poisonous. If found, please call Tartarus. Exit 954. I realized I hadn't even uncapped my sword. My hands were numb. I was 10 feet away from the Chimera's bloody maw, and I knew that as soon as I moved, that the creature would lunge. The snake lady made a hissing noise that might have been laugh laughter. Be honored, Percy Jackson. Lord Zeus rarely allows me to test a hero with one of my brood, for I am the mother of monsters, the terrible Agna. I stared at her. All I could think to say was, isn't that a kind of anteater? She howled. Her reptilian face turning brown and green with rage. I hate it when people say that. I hate Australia, naming that ridiculous animal after me. For that, Percy Jackson, my son shall destroy you. The chimera charged, its lion teeth gnashing. I managed to leap aside and dodge the bite. I ended up next to the family and the park ranger, who were all screaming now, trying to pry open the emergency exit doors. I couldn't let them get hurt. I uncapped my sword, ran to the other side of the deck, and yelled, Hey, Chihuahua! The chimera turned faster than I would have thought possible. Before I could swing my sword, it opened its mouth, emitting a stench like the world's largest barbecue pit, and shot a column of flame straight at me. I dove through the explosion. The carpet burst into flames. The heat was so intense, it nearly seared off my eyebrows. Where I had been standing a moment before was a ragged hole in the side of the arch, with melted me metal steaming around the edges. Great, I thought. We just blow-torched a national monument. Riptide was now a shining bronze blade in my hands, and as the chimera turned, I slashed its, as it, at its neck. That was my fatal mistake. The blade sparked harmlessly off the dog collar. I tried to regain my balance, but I was so worried about defending myself against the fiery lion's mouth, 
I completely forgot about the serpent tail until I whipped it around and sank its fangs in my, into my calf. My whole leg was on fire. I tried to jab rip, Riptide into the Chimera's mouth, but the serpent tail wrapped around my ankles and pulled me off balance, and my blade flew out of my hand, spinning out of the hole in the arch and down toward the Mississippi River. I managed to get to my feet, but I knew I had lost. I was weaponless. I could feel deadly poison racing up to my chest. I remember Chiron saying that Anaclusmos would always return to me, but there was no pen in my pocket. Maybe I'd fallen too far away. Maybe it only returned when it was in pen form. I didn't know, and I, was, and I wasn't going to live long enough to figure it out. I backed into the hole in the wall. The chimera advanced, growling, growling, smoke curling from its lips. The snake lady, Echidna, cackled. They don't make heroes like they used to, eh, son? The monster growled. It seemed in no hurry to finish me off now that I was beaten. I glanced at the park ranger and the family. The little boy was hiding behind his father's legs. I had to protect these people. I couldn't just die. I tried to think, but my whole body was on fire. My head felt dizzy. I had no sword. I was facing a massive fire-breathing monster and its mother, and I was scared. There was no place else to go, so I stepped to the edge of the hole. Far, far below, the river glittered. If I died, would the monsters go away? Would they leave the humans alone? If you are the son of Poseidon's, Ejidna hissed, you would not fear waters. Jump, Percy Jackson. Show me that water will not harm you. Jump and retrieve your sword. Prove your bloodline. Yeah, right, I thought. I'd read somewhere that jumping into water from a couple of stories up was like jumping onto solid asphalt. From here, I'd splatter onto impact. On impact. The Chimera's mouth glowed red, heating up for another blast. You have no faith, Echidna told me. You do not trust the gods. I cannot blame you, little coward. Better you die now. The gods are faithless. The, po- the poison is in your heart. She was right. I was dying. I could feel my breath slowing down. Nobody could save me. Not even the gods. I backed up and looked down at the water. I remembered the warm glow of my father's smile when I was a baby. He must have seen me. He must have visited me when I was in my cradle. I remember the swirling green trident that had appeared above my head the night of the capture of the flag, when Poseidon had claimed me as a son. But this wasn't the sea. This was the Mississippi, dead center of the USA. There was no sea god here. Die, faithless one, Echidna rasped and the chimera sent a column of flame toward my face. Father, help me, I prayed. I turned and jumped, my clothes on fire, poison cursing through my veins. I plummeted toward the river. And that is the end of chapter 13. That was a really interesting chapter considering that a chihuahua can turn to a very vicious dog and how the old lady turned into a green scaly monster but yeah i'm pretty sure maybe percy knew what he was doing or you know he was under pressure but yeah after these ads we will read chapter 14 i became i become a known fugitive
Welcome back from the ads, and now we are going to read chapter 14, I Become a Known Fugitive. I'd love to tell you I had some deep revelation on my way down, that I came to terms with my own mortality, laughed in the face of death, etc. The truth, my only thought was, "Ah!" The river raced toward me at the speed of a truck. Wind ripped the breath from my lungs. Steepless and skyscraper, steeples and skyscrapers and bridges tumbled in and out of my vision. And then, fla-boom, a whiteout of bubbles. I sank through the murk, uh, murk, sure that I was about to end up embedded in a hundred feet of mud and lost forever. But my impact with the water hadn't hurt. I was falling slowly now, bubbles trickling up through my fingers. I settled on the river bottom soundlessly. A catfish the size of my stepfather lurched away into the gloom. Clouds of silt and disgusting garbage, beer bottles, old shoes, plastic bags, swirled up all around me. At that point, I realized a few things. First, I had not been flattened into a pancake. I had not been barbecued. I couldn't even feel the chimera poison boiling in my veins anymore. I was alive, which was good. Second realization, I wasn't wet. I mean, I could feel the coolness of the water. I could see where the fire on my clothes had been quenched. But when I touched my own shirt, it felt perfectly dry. I looked at the garbage floating by and snatched an old cigarette lighter. No way, I thought. I flicked the lighter. It sparked. A tiny flame appeared. Right there, at the bottom of the Mississippi. I grabbed a soggy hamburger wrapper out of the current and immediately the paper turned dry. I lit it with no problem. As soon as I let it go, the flame sputtered out. The wrapper turned back into a slimy rag. Weird. But the strangest thought occurred to me only last. I was breathing. I was underwater. And I was breathing normally. I stood up, tied deep in the mud. In mud. My legs felt shaky. My hands trembled. I should have been dead. The fact that I wasn't seen—I wasn't seemed like, well, a miracle. I imagined a woman's voice, a voice that sounded a bit like my mother. Percy, what do you say? Um, thanks. Underwater, I sounded like I did on recordings, like a much older kid. Thank you, father. No response, just a dark drift of garbage down river. The enormous catfish gliding by, the flash of sunset on the water surface far above, turning everything the color of butterscotch. Why had Poseidon saved me? The more I thought about it, the more ashamed I felt. So I'd gotten lucky a few times before. Against a thing like the Chimera, I had never stood a chance. Those poor people in the arch were probably toast. I couldn't protect them. I was no hero. Maybe I should just stay down here with the catfish, join the bottom feeders. Thump, thump, thump. A riverboat's paddle wheel churned above me, swirling the silt around. There, not five feet in front of me, was my sword, its gleaming bronze hilt sticking up in the mud. I heard that woman's voice again. Percy, take the sword. Your father believes in you. This time, I knew the voice wasn't in my head. I wasn't imagining it. Her words seemed to come from everywhere, rippling through the water like dolphin sonar. Where are you? I called aloud. Then, through the gloom, I saw her. A woman, 
the color of the water, a ghost in the current, floating just above the sword. She had long, billowing hair, and her eyes, barely visible, were green like mine. A lump formed in my throat. I said, Mom? No, child, only a messenger. Though your mother's fate is not as hopeless as you believe, go to the beach in Santa Monica. What? It is your father's will. Before you descend into the underworld, you must go to Santa Monica. Please, Percy, I cannot stand stay long. The river here is too foul for my presence. But I wasn't I was sure this mother woman was my mother, or a vision of her anyway. Who? How did you There's so much I wanted to ask. The words jammed up in my throat. I cannot stay, brave one, the woman said. She reached out, and I felt the current brush my face like a caress. You must go to Santa Monica, and Percy, do not trust the gifts. Her voice faded. Gifts? I asked. What gifts? Wait. She made one more attempt to speak, but the sound was gone. Her image melted away. If it was my mother, I had lost her again. I felt like drowning myself. The only problem, I was immune to drowning. Your father believes in you, she had said. She also called me brave, unless she was talking to the catfish. I waded toward Riptide and grabbed it by the hilt. The chimera might still be up there with its snaky fat mother waiting to finish me off. At the very least, the moral police would be arriving, trying to figure out who had blown a hole in the arch. If they found me, they'd have some questions. I capped my sword, stuck the ballpoint pen in my pocket. Thank you, father. I said again to the dark water, and I kicked up through the muck and swam for the surface. I came ashore next to a floating McDonald's. A block away, every emergency vehicle in St. Louis was surrounding, surrounding the arch. Police helicopters circled overhead. The crowd of onlookers reminded me of Times Square on New Year's Eve. A little girl said, Mama, that boy walked out of the water. That's nice, dear, her mother said craning her neck to watch the ambulances. But he's dry! That's nice, dear. A news lady was talking for the camera. Probably not a terrorist attack, we're told, but it's still very early in the investigation. The damage, as you can see, is very serious. We're trying to get some of the survivors to question them about eyewitness reports of someone falling from the arch. Survivors. I felt a surge of relief. Maybe the park ranger and that family made it out safely. I hoped Annabeth and Grover were okay. I tried to push through the crowd to see what was going on inside the police line. An adolescent boy, another reporter was saying. Channel 5 has learned that surveillance cameras show an adolescent boy going wild on the observation deck, somehow setting off this freak explosion. Hard to believe, John, but that's what we're hearing. Again, no confirmed fatalities. I backed away trying to keep my head down. I had to go a long way around the police perimeter. Uniform officers and news reporters were everywhere. I'd almost lost hope of every f- ever finding Annabeth and per- Grover when a familiar voice bleated, Percy! I turned and got tackled by Grover's bear hug, or goat hug. He said, We thought you'd gone to Hades the hard way. Annabeth stood behind him, trying to look angry, but even she seemed relieved to fi- to see me. We can't leave you alone for five minutes. What happened? 
I sort of fell. Percy? 630 feet? Behind us, a cop shouted, Gangway! The crowd parted, and a couple of paramedics hustled out, rolling a woman on a stretcher. I recognized her immediately as the mother of the little boy who'd been on the observation deck. She was saying, And then this huge dog, this huge fire-breathing chihuahua? Okay, ma'am, the paramedic said. Just calm down. Your family is fine. The medication is starting to kick in. I'm not crazy. This boy jumped out of the hole and the monster disappeared. Then she saw me. There he is. That's the boy. I turned quickly and pulled Annabeth and Grover after me. We disappeared into the crowd. What's going on? Annabeth demanded. Was she talking about the chihuahua on the elevator? I told him the whole story of Chimera, Echidna, my high dive act, and the underwater lady's message. Whoa, said Grover. We've got to get you to Santa Monica. You can't ignore, ignore a summons from your dad. Before Annabeth could respond, we passed another reporter doing a news break, and I almost froze in my tracks when he said, Percy Jackson. That's right, Dan. Channel 12 has learned that the boy who may have caused this explosion fits the description of a young man wanted by authorities for a serious New Jersey bus accident three days ago. And the boy is believed to be traveling west. For our viewers and viewers at home, here's a photo of Percy Jackson. We ducked around the news van and slipped into the alley, into an alley. First things first, I told Grover, we've got to get out of town. Somehow we made it back to the Amtrak station without getting spotted. We got on board the train just before it pulled for, out for Denver. The train trundled west as darkness fell, police lights still pulsing against the state, St. Louis skyline behind us. And that is the end of chapter 14. That was a really short chapter, but that was kind of a very, you know, kind of like it kind of made you feel like, you know, it was kind of long because he's trying to run away from the police because of what he was trying to do to protect himself and no one knows that because remember they can't see any of the monsters if i'm correct through the mist and so percy is the only one being seen when there's the new jersey bus and there's also this you know the arch so now he's on the run and he has just gone back to the amtrak station and stay tuned next for next week for episode eight where we read chapters 15 through 16. Stay safe and stay out of boredom.